The story is told of an older missionary couple who spent many, many years on the field in very, very difficult circumstances. Their health was failing and their mission board decided that they needed to return home. This was not what the missionary couple wanted to do. They wanted to stay and keep serving. They had given their life and spent their life on these people, but they were forced and encouraged to submit. And so this was the time before airplanes, and so they uh, made passage on a boat to return back to America. It was going to be a multiple-week journey for them to get from where they were back to America. And on the boat where they were, as they were traveling, there was a relatively well-known government official from America also returning back home. During the couple of weeks in which the, this missionary couple was on the boat, they had the chance to observe this government official, uh, and his behavior was less than exemplary. However, when they got to port in New York, uh, here was this great band, photographers, press, all of these people celebrating this government official returning home. And his uh, homecoming was a joyous, wonderful, celebratory event. But for the missionary couple, <clears throat> there was no one there to greet them. Uh, no one there to pay any attention to the fact that they had returned home. And as they were getting off the boat and tending or fending for themselves, the wife began to cry. And the husband asked her, what's, what's the matter? And she said, we've spent our life in service of God. We have done the right thing. We've tried to behave. We've tried to be a witness. We've been through very difficult and hard circumstances. And yet there's no one here to greet us. We've come home and we're here all alone. And the husband thought for a moment and he turned to his wife and he said, but honey, we're not actually home yet. <laughs> we're not home yet. We've been talking all year about having the eyes of faith, of going on a journey of faith. One of the powerful things that faith does is allow us to see through difficult, disappointing, discouraging circumstances to what God is really doing and to what lies beyond those difficult, discouraging, and hard circumstances. This morning, that's what we want to focus is the power of faith to enable us to do things, to see beyond things, to endure things we never thought possible. So please, if you would, take a Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's no problem. We provide them in the rack in front of you or underneath your seat. They'll look like this. And in one of those Bibles, you just turn to page seven, 975, 975. <clears throat> You'll be right where we are in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, let me uh, spend a little bit of time kind of reviewing and recapping where we've been. You may have missed a week. You may not necessarily see the big picture about how all this fits together. But before we finish this chapter, let me kind of show you where we've been. In general, in the book of Hebrews, we've been talking about going on journeys of faith with Jesus. Blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Because when we get out of our comfort zone and we go with Jesus wherever he's taking us, we see and experience God in new and powerful ways. Specifically in Hebrews chapter 11, we've been focused on the idea of faith itself. And I've got a slide here that kind of shows you 
how the chapter lays out and where we've been over the past few weeks. The chapter breaks down pretty nicely into a couple of sections, the first of which is Hebrews 11, 1 to 3. And the subject of that section is, what is faith? And the key phrase is, now faith is, and Hebrews tells us, faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's the ability to see with the eyes of faith things that make no sense or that you're not able to see otherwise. It's the ability to have a conviction about something for which you have no absolute proof. The second section in Hebrews 11 is a long one. It's verses 4 through 31. And that section is not about what faith is. It's about how do we exercise faith. How do you see things with the eyes of faith? The key phrase there is by faith. And so throughout verses 4 through 31, over and over again, Hebrews 11 says, by faith, by faith, by faith. And it's telling us how Abraham or Noah or Sarah or Rahab did the things they did. In other words, how did they exercise faith? In that second section, verses 4 through 31, that actually broke down into three smaller sections. The first, verses 4 through 7, which answers the question, how do we see things or how do we experience things by faith? We do so through what we would call the obedience of faith. In other words, sometimes just start obeying and then you'll see what God is up to. Sometimes we don't have any idea how it's going to work out, what it's going to look like, but we just need to get going. We just need to do the thing that God has given us to do. And through that obedience of faith, we'll be able to see better what it is that's going on. The second part about how do we see, verses 8 through 22, is really about the illogical nature of faith. That sometimes God asks us to do things that don't make any sense to us or to others, and we're not able to see them through the eyes of faith, until we stop trying to see them with the eyes of logic. This is what Proverbs 3, 5 means when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Don't rely on your ability or my ability to make sense of what's going on. Trust in the Lord. And then third subsection verses 23 to 31, is what we looked at last week. And that is the relationship between fear and faith. And the idea is, is that when you are faced with irrational fears, the only thing strong enough to counteract those fears is fear of God. This is why Jesus says to Jairus, after his daughter has died, Right before Jesus raises her from the dead, he whispers in Jairus' ear, don't be afraid, just believe. Incidentally, someone in the church, a friend, sent me a, a link to a news story that appeared this week in the Detroit Free Press, which was that exact point about fear and faith. It's a story of a Detroit police officer. His name is Joe Dobbs Jr. He'd only been on the police force for a month. 
just fresh out of the academy, found himself in a situation where his partner was in danger for her life. He jumped into the middle of the fray to rescue her, which he did, but as a result, suffered incredibly uh, painful and difficult injuries, slashed across the face multiple times. The Detroit Free Press was doing a series of articles honoring heroes in the Detroit area, and this young police officer was one of the ones they interviewed. And my friend from Calvary sent me the link because it fits so perfectly with last week's sermon and this point about fear and faith. This is what the officer said, or this is what said about the officer in the article. He was quoted, all my training was kicking in when asked, how in the world did you have the courage to jump into the middle of this? The other part was God putting me through this to save someone, said Dobbis, who felt he was being tested, meaning the Lord was asking him to do this. I chose this line of work. I know what could happen, but I'm living my dream to be a police officer, he said, adding, my faith is bigger than my fear. That was the point from last week is, is the idea, the only thing that can give you the courage to face your fears is faith in God. Well, that was the last part of the section about how do we see things with the eyes of faith. This morning, we're moving into the last section of Hebrews chapter 11. And this, I would say, is about the results of faith. Hebrews 11 has talked about what is faith, how do we have faith, and now at the end of Hebrews 11, we look at what are the results of faith. And the key phrase is no longer by faith. It switches in our passage, verse 33, to say, who through faith. That's a different phrase. By faith, by faith, by faith, that's how you exercise faith. Through faith is emphasizing what happened as a result of faith. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see three things that happen when we exercise faith. Three things that God is enabled to do in our lives when we exercise faith. The first one comes out of verses 32 to 35. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Now stop there for a moment. Clearly what's going on in this section is that faith has enabled these people to do amazing things. They're conquering kingdoms. They're administering justice. Their weakness is being turned to strength. People like Gideon, who thinks he's no military leader whatsoever, with a very small band of men, is able to overcome an incredibly large Midianite army. His weakness turned to strength. And we see the first thing that faith does is it allows God to do through us amazing things, unbelievable things, show-stopping, jaw-dropping, hair on the back of your neck, tingling kind of things. Now, this is not a surprise. This is why Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, 
you can say to that mountain, be moved, and it will throw itself into the sea. It's why Jesus says, anything is possible for him who believes. Now, there's no surprise there that through faith, God does amazing things. But the twist or the surprise comes in the second thing that God does through faith. First is he does amazing things. Second, keep going with me in verse 35. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Now stop there. This is the second section. And I don't know about you, but I've read this chapter many times. This section never really stood out to me, but if you think about it, it's pretty shocking. Yes, yes, yes. So far in Hebrews 11, we've been talking about, by faith, Noah, he survived the flood. By faith, Abraham, he got a child when he wasn't supposed to have a child in his old age. By faith, Moses went through the Passover and crossed the Red Sea, and you're hearing over and over again all these amazing stories, wonderful success stories. And then you get to this section, and all of a sudden, if you think about it, Things get really, really bad. People are getting sawed in two. They're being killed by the sword. All of a sudden, we gloss over this section because we're so used to the fact that, yes, by faith Rahab, by faith the children of Israel marched around Jericho. And all of a sudden, you get to this section and you realize, wait a minute, we're no longer talking about David killing Goliath. We're talking about David running from Saul. We're no longer talking about Samuel defeating the Philistines. We're talking about Samuel being rejected uh, by the people of Israel. And the point about this section is, faith not only enables us to do amazing things, it gives us the strength to endure horrifying things. I mean, look, verse 34, they escaped the edge of the sword. Fantastic. But then you get verse 37, they were killed by the sword. Verse 35, some women received back their dead, raised to life. Hallelujah, praise God. Verse 37, they were put to death by stoning and there was no resurrection. There was no intervention. There was no God making the difficult thing going away. And I find this to be sobering but also encouraging. If you didn't have Hebrews 11 end this way, you could mistakenly have the opinion that if you just had enough faith, everything in life would go amazing. If all we had was point number one, which was through faith, God does amazing things, we would think, well, if I'm not having lots of amazing stuff going on in my life, it must be because I don't have enough faith. And if I just have enough faith, I'd have enough money, I'd have enough popularity, I'd have enough friends, I'd have everything taken care of, my health, I would be healed, I wouldn't lose any of the loved ones that I love to death. Everything would go great but it's very, very powerful to me that the ultimate example of faith in Hebrews 11 are people who endured horrifying things and they did so by faith. Faith is what gave them the strength 
to endure. Faith is what gives us the strength to endure. Faith is what allowed that missionary couple, after they have labored so long overseas, to come home to zero recognition. Faith is what gave them the ability to do that. Faith is what helped that police officer jump into the middle of the fray obeying God, despite the fact he ended up getting badly wounded. And still, I think if I remember from the articles, on medical leave and unable to be on the police force. Faith is what allowed people like George Gardner to believe that we could build this building, that we could move out here, even though he was dying of cancer. Faith is what allowed perhaps your parents to be able to make a change from the tradition that they had grown up in, to come to faith in Jesus and to endure difficult things so that they might be able to open the door for you to have a journey of faith. Faith enables us to endure really, really hard circumstances. Third thing that faith does. Verses 39 and 40. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Faith not only allows us to do amazing things and to endure terrible things, but it allows us to see through both to the future God has planned for us. The story I told you about that missionary couple, the husband's right. They did have a homecoming. It was waiting for them. And he was looking through the poor reception they received at the port in New York to the reception they were going to receive when they arrived on the shores of heaven, when God himself would celebrate their faithful service, when God himself would reward them for their hard work. Faith is the ability to look through life, whether things are going fantastic or things are going terrible, to say, but God has a future eternal kingdom planned for me that is far better than anything I could imagine now. The highs I've experienced now don't even begin to compare with what's coming. The lows that I'm experiencing now don't even begin to compare with the eternal rest God has waiting for me. Faith is the ability to do amazing things to endure terrible things and to look beyond both of them yes. to heaven that God has planned for us. That's the result of faith. But all of this is a lead-in to the most important verses in the book, the ones that we've been saying all year long, our benediction from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The point is, is there is this great cloud of witnesses and the author of Hebrews has gone through them. Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Rahab, Joshua, Gideon, David, Barak, Samson, George Gardner, your parents, others who've gone before us, these missionary couple that spent their life in service for the Lord. This great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on as we go down our race. My race is different than your race. My race is different than Abraham's race. But this cloud of witnesses is cheering us on as we go down the race marked out for us. That's really encouraging. But that's not the focus. 
The focus that this cloud of witnesses is cheering us on is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Notice how Jesus is described in here. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. Pioneer means the beginner, the first one through. In many ways, Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. He's also the perfecter of the faith, which means that he exercised faith better than anybody else. Now think about that for a minute. That's a little bit of a strange notion. We normally think of Jesus as being the object of our faith. We believe in Jesus. It's true. He is the object of our faith, but that's not what Hebrews is emphasizing. Hebrews is emphasizing Jesus is not only the object of our faith, he's the example of what it means to have faith. Did you realize that? Did you realize that Jesus had to exercise faith? Did you realize that Jesus had to believe? That there were things in his life that he didn't see clearly? It has to be that way, doesn't it? Or he wouldn't have been human. He couldn't have been fully human if in every situation he saw clearly exactly what was going on. He was never tempted to doubt. He was always sure of exactly what was happening and how everything would work out. He wouldn't be fully human if that was the case. His divine nature would have overridden his human nature and he would not have experienced what you and I experienced. But the fact of the matter is, is that as you and I go through life and we get in situations where we can't quite see our way forward, we're not sure how this is going to work out, we're confused and we want to doubt. Well, Jesus knows exactly what we're going through. You see, he is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. He's done the journey of faith ahead of us. Consider, for example, Jesus during the temptation. Right before Satan tempts Jesus, the last words Jesus hears, according to Matthew 3, is the father saying to Jesus at his baptism in an audible voice, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Do you know the next audible words that Jesus hears, according to Matthew 4? It's Satan asking him the question, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What's going on here? Well, the father has affirmed something that's true about Jesus. Satan is trying to get him to doubt the truthfulness of that statement. Satan wants Jesus to prove it to himself. There's nobody else there. Who else would Jesus be showing this to except himself? Satan already knows. Jesus is proving it to himself. And the point is, is the only way this makes any sense is if Jesus is having to continue to believe what the Father declared to be true about him 40 days earlier. Which means Jesus goes through the same thing you and I go through, which is God sometimes tells us something on Sunday, and then on Monday we tend to doubt it or forget that that's really true. Jesus is having to believe by faith that he's the son of God. Look, if he knows it for sure, Satan knows it for sure, and God knows it for sure, why this question? What is Satan tempting him with? Jesus knows it in his divine nature. But in his human nature, just like you and I, there would be a temptation to doubt. But notice how Jesus responds. Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, 
but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said, I'm not going to prove it to myself. I'm going to believe what the Father said about me at my baptism. The words that came out of my Father's mouth, that's what I'm putting my faith in. What he's doing here is what we call the obedience of faith. He's doing the right thing, which is, look, I'm not going to prove it to myself because I'm not here to test the Lord. I'm here to trust the Lord. Or consider Jesus at his trial. When he stands before Pilate, Matthew's gospel tells us that as he stands there, he is silent, like a sheep before his slaughterers. Jesus is silent when he's on trial. People are bringing accusations against him, most of which are false. Jesus isn't saying anything, and Pilate is dumbfounded. What are you doing? Respond. Don't you have any defense? What is it that you want to say? But the text is clear. Jesus does not reply. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me. i got to be honest with you. It seems completely illogical. I've had people say false things about me, and I can tell you the first thing I want to do is prove them wrong. Just give me my day in court. Just give me my opportunity to stand up and show how ridiculous that is. I mean, listen, Jesus is on trial. Even the judge, meaning Pilate, doesn't think he's guilty. Of course Jesus could win this argument. Of course he could demonstrate his innocence. Of course he could convince Pilate that he's not guilty. Why doesn't he? Well, 1 Peter 2 tells us why he doesn't. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he did what? Entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In other words, he exercised faith. He chose to entrust his life to the Father, to believe the Father, to not take matters into his own hands and declare himself innocent. He simply said, but I, by faith, believe that the Father is going to vindicate me. This is Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Jesus chooses not to do what is logical or sensible or what you would do or what I would do. He chooses to trust his reputation, his life, and his eternity to his Father, who always does the right thing. That's Jesus exercising faith. Or consider Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is when he's hit with what we would call irrational fear. I believe in the Garden that Jesus in his human nature is unable to see his way forward. I think the fear is blinding. I think the idea of what's waiting for him on that cross, I think the idea of what's waiting for him in being rejected by his father, I think the idea of what's waiting for him to bear the sins of the world is simply too much. And it says in the text that Jesus prayed and was in agony to the point of death. And so he asked this question, my father, if it's possible... May this cup be taken from me. Now, why is he asking that question? If he knows in his human nature that it's impossible, what is this, just a show? Is he just making this question up? Is he just saying, hey, look, we've got to have something to write down in the book so that later on people can think that I was struggling with this? Or is this a genuine possibility for doubt? 
Is this a genuine possibility where Jesus in his human nature is hoping there might be some other way than this way? That's what that is. How does he know there's not? Well, he knows it by faith. That's why he doesn't get an answer. He just simply says, yet, not as I will, but as you will. What's he doing? He's choosing to fear God more than he fears what's waiting for him. That he knows that God's will and doing God's will is better than doing his own will. And in that statement, you're supposed to read that left up to Jesus, he would like to do this a different way. But by faith, not because he can see how this is all going to work out, not because he knows exactly what it's going to feel like to be separated from the Father, not because he's confident that he's going to be able to endure whatever hell has to bring toward him, but because by faith he trusts in what the Father has planned. And so by faith he goes forward. It's for this reason that Jesus is called the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. He is the object of our faith, but he's also the example to us of what it means to have faith. And that as you and I go on our journeys of faith, God says, look at Jesus. Look at how it worked out for him. Look at the next part. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the result of Jesus' faith? Well, number one, we've got to take him in reverse order from the way Hebrews left us. Hebrews 11 left us. Number one, for the joy set before him, meaning by faith he was able to see through the good and the bad of life to the future God had planned for him. Number two, he endured the cross, scorning and shame. By faith, he was able to endure the most horrific of circumstances, betrayal, rejection, crucifixion, hell itself, abandonment and separation from God. And number three, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, which is shorthand for, through Jesus' faith, God won for us eternal salvation. That as a merciful and faithful high priest, God did through Jesus far greater than conquering kingdoms or administering justice or turning weakness into strength. Through Jesus, God accomplished something that for the rest of eternity, we're going to try to wrap our minds around. He saved us from Satan, sin, and death. The point is, Jesus' faith does the same thing our faith does. It allows us to do amazing things. It allows us to endure horrific things. And in the face of both of those, to look through them to what God is up to. And the point of Hebrews is, is look, don't think Jesus is so different than you. He too had to walk by faith. He too had to choose to believe. He too had to obey even when he didn't really feel like it. He too had to understand that logic and, 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 and wisdom sometimes lead you astray. He too had to choose the fear of the Lord over the irrational fears. Look, please don't write Jesus off as being so divine that he's not human anymore. He is divine, but he is also 100% totally human. And those feelings that you've had and that I've had about God, are you really going to show up here? 
Lord, where are you? Lord, why is my life going so difficult? Why am I suffering? Those same feelings he had, or he wouldn't have been human. And Hebrews has made the point, look, he became human, not so he could waltz through life with some sort of inner divine nature that was going to allow him to know everything that was going to happen without any doubts, without any struggles, without any fears. He went through life as a human needing to believe and he exercised faith absolutely perfectly and as a result God did through Jesus amazing things he allowed Jesus to endure horrific things and Jesus looked through all of that to the place where he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God and the point of Hebrews is verse 3 consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Look, on your journey of faith, on my journey of faith, look at Jesus. Look at how his faith turned out. Please don't write Jesus off as being so different from us that he didn't have to exercise faith. The point of Hebrews is he's human like we're human. He exercised faith like we need to exercise faith. Look at how it turned out for him. Was he abandoned? No. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God with all majesty and power and authority given to him. And the point of Hebrews is think about Jesus and his story for a minute. And that's what we come to communion to do. We come to communion to think about the faith of Jesus. And I believe that God brought you here this morning because he wants through your faith to do something amazing or to help you endure something horrific or to help you see through both the highs and lows of life to what's coming in the future. And he brought you here this morning to say, fix your eyes on Jesus and the way he exercised faith, the way he obeyed, the way he didn't lean on his own understanding, the way he feared God more than his circumstances. Look at how Jesus did this thing and look where he is now. Look what God has done with him. And I believe the encouragement that as we take this bread and as we take this cup, I'm guessing that God brought you here because there's some area of your life he wants you to exercise the faith of Jesus. Not just faith in Jesus, but the faith of Jesus. And as you hold that bread in that cup, there's going to be a chance for some quiet reflection. There'll be some questions on the screen to help you think through. What is it that God is asking you to have faith in? What is he asking you to believe the way Jesus believed? So that he might accomplish great things through you? So that he might help you to stand in the face of the horrendous things you've been asked to do? or so that you might be able to see through both of those to the amazing future God has planned for you with Jesus.